Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, September 20th, 2017 edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Welcome to our little Wednesday hangout where we talk about all things weather. Uh, tonight we have on with us Crowd Hydrology. Uh, it's kind of a, a mesonet program, if you will, of, flood, of uh, river stream gauges uh, that are reported to uh, through crowdsourcing. So we'll get into that uh, tonight with our guests, uh, Chris Lowry and Mike Feenan, uh, as they uh, have kind of uh, brought this uh, crowd hydrology to fruition. And uh, they're going to talk to us tonight about their product and maybe how you can help out um, as well. So uh, this is a live uh, program. If you are watching tonight via uh, Facebook Live or Periscope or a YouTube page, or if you're listening to our uh, podcast later on, in the week, uh, this uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to uh, send them our way. You can do that one of a few ways. You can submit those either on Periscope or Facebook Live. Uh, just uh, send the questions in the little uh, comment to box there. Or if you're uh, wanting to use Twitter, you can tweet them at us at CarolinaWX or even leave us a comment on our Facebook page. We'll monitor those throughout the show, and uh, if we have any questions, we'll make sure to get those answered. So again, uh, we have a crowds. Uh, Crowd Hydrology on with us tonight. Before we do that, uh, James has got some information for us. Uh, this is the 8 p.m. advisories on Hurricane Maria and maybe Hurricane Jose. We didn't talk about Jose, but uh, James may have James has them both. So, James, I'll let you go ahead and uh, tell us about uh, what the latest updates say. Yeah, if you're joining us uh, live right now on our enhanced broadcast on Facebook or Periscope uh, or on YouTube, you're seeing off to the side some of the latest satellite imageries we have on these storms. Uh, the top one is Tropical Storm Jose. Uh, we have some nice rotation. Uh, you know, the other day it was really even hard to find on satellite, but we can we can see it now. And 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 Hurricane Maria is a real definite strong hurricane uh, as it came across uh, Puerto Rico earlier today. Let's look very briefly here at these eight o'clock updates from the National Hurricane Center. Uh, starting first with the latest track uh, that just came in regarding hurricane uh, or excuse me tropical storm jose he's tropical storm he's got 65 mile per hour sustained winds he is moving right now northeast at eight miles per hour but you can see look how tight and compact that cone is there from the hurricane center you can see not moving uh very quickly or very far at all and a matter of fact if you uh, caught in that cone it's actually essentially going to start moving backwards now or at least uh, traditionally uh to what we see as it begins to kind of do a loop-de-loop -loop and make its way back towards the northeast coast uh where we again are watching for beach erosion and windy conditions along the coastline there. There is that cone once again, that orange area, that yellowish area is the current wind field for tropical storm force uh, winds. Uh, let's take a look now. Here is the eight o'clock advisory from the National Hurricane Center regarding Hurricane Maria, category two storm with 110 mile per hour sustained winds moving northwest at 12 miles per hour. Here is the latest forecast cone. It's uh, expected to strengthen again into a major hurricane. So that means at least a category three. Uh, it was a category four as it made landfall on Puerto Rico. Uh, it did weaken a little bit thanks to the interaction with the land there, but uh, it left behind some devastating damage as we begin to get those initial reports in from the island itself. You can see the storm uh, that is moving northwest at 12 miles per hour will have that general momentum as it does strengthen back into a major hurricane. Those red there, those are other islands that are under hurricane warnings over the course of the next few days. Uh, and as that storm begins to move northward, uh, it will uh, move up between somewhere the east coast of the United States, the Carolinas, and Bermuda by the time we look ahead to uh, this weekend and the start of next week. And uh, we will... Uh, kind of talk a little bit more at the end of today's show uh, what the forecast track could possibly look like after that because as you always see with that cone of uncertainty as it begins to get a little bit wider that eye of that storm could be anywhere from just offshore of the Carolinas to closer to Bermuda uh, closer to B Bermuda would obviously be 
lesser of an impact for the Carolinas, but there are a lot of factors, a lot of steering currents out there in the atmosphere, and we'll be breaking those down for you coming up a little later this hour on this week's edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Scotty? All right, thank you, James, for that. Uh, so stick to uh, stick with us towards the end of the show. Uh, Shay will give us a, a breakdown of what's going on and what's already taken place. Before we do that, uh, let's quickly go around the panel. Uh, Charleston guys, uh, Shay, uh, Jared, how's the weather been down in the low country? Go ahead, Jared. Got to unmute my stuff. It usually helps to talk uh, when you're unmuted. So uh, what was hot today? 91. 91 in mid-September. It's not unheard of. Our, our record is 98 um, uh, on this day. And let's stay a little warm, get a little stormier, a little upper, upper trough action kind of cuts off and uh, gets us a little bit, uh, some slight rain chances in the afternoon. Watching Maria, um, knock on wood, knock on any wood-like surface that you have. Maria will stay off of our shore after the nerve-wracking Hurricane Irma. Um, but yeah, we're going to cool off real nice to uh, get a little fall like uh, a little over the weekend and then um, warm back up into next week. So yeah, that's uh, about it. Nice and boring, just as uh, just as I'd really like it. So uh, after the last few weeks, so Shay. Uh, no, that's about exactly right. It's just it's <laughs> warm. Yep, warm and humid is the uh, is the is the key here. Uh, we did have some mild sea breezes today, some modest sea breezes, actually anywhere from 9 to 13 knots. Just inside the coastal breaks, we're seeing 11 to 15. So if you're a fisherman or a boater, uh, we may see something similar to this tomorrow. Again, uh, we're going to start to see a northeast wind work its way down the coastline uh, into this weekend, which Jared just referenced to a cooler air pattern. Uh, so usually when we get a high-pressure ridge building up and down the eastern seaboard, we get this cooler northerly wind. And then we have uh, a possibility for the wind starting to come up as Maria lifts from the south. Uh, and we'll get into that later in the show when we, when we discuss the tropics, but it may increase the gradient just a little bit to give an east-northeast or easterly wind up in the mid to upper teens by as late as Saturday or even into uh, most of the day on Sunday. So keep that in mind if you're if you're a wind and water sportsman. Back to you, Scotty. All right, and James, I don't know, did Charlotte get up to 90 degrees today? I know they were close. I don't know, but I will look real fast why I uh, do acknowledge, and that's exactly what kind of what I was going to say was it was uh, very warm here today. I'm happy I did not put the uh, shorts away or the, the T-shirts, still have those out. I thought about uh, a week or so ago going ahead and uh, putting some of that stuff away and reorganizing the closet. Glad I haven't just yet. Uh, but as I do pull up uh, the information from um, uh, the Charlotte Airport today via the uh, National Weather Service. Let's see the, yeah, six-hour maximum does show 90 degrees. Uh, that was recorded at probably an off hour at about, oh, three, four o'clock. Awesome. Well, we were 87 here in the North Carolina foothills, so uh, quite toasty as well. We did have a few uh, pop-up showers in the mountains, but once they moved off the mountain, uh, they they just dissipated fairly quickly, so... Uh, they were not able to maintain themselves as they uh, took the, uh, the trip off the mountain. So with that, let's get in with our uh, guests tonight. Let's bring in Chris and Mike, who are with Crowd Hydrology. Guys, uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks. All right, guys. Well, I'll, uh, I'll let you guys kind of uh, start off, maybe introduce yourself since you're a first-time guest. Uh, a lot of our viewers and listeners uh, have not seen you guys yet, so... Maybe kind of talk about uh, your, your career path to uh, where you guys are right now. And Chris, we'll start with you. Sure. Uh, so my name is Chris Lowry. I'm an associate professor at the University of Buffalo in the geology department. 
Um, and, and my subspecialty is hydrogeology. And so actually I study groundwater flow in the subsurface, um, mostly quantity, not as much quality. Um, and in kind of talking about what we're going to talk about today, I actually study groundwater um, just kind of at the interface between groundwater and surface water. So I'm very interested in the fluxes between groundwater and surface water. Um, and so I've been at the University of Buffalo now for about seven years. Um, and um, th those are the kinds of things I do. We have to ask you, how do you like the lake effect snow? <laughs> you know, uh, so, so I, I, live, I, live north, I live north of the city of Buffalo, and so I actually don't get hit by the lake effect snow. Ah, okay. So, uh, the, the university will get hit by the lake effect snow, and, you know, two winters ago we had seven feet of snow in one storm, and I live n far enough north that um, I think I got maybe 10 inches. Well, 10 inch is still a big, big, big quality here in the, the Carolinas, but yeah. yeah but I, but in, Buffalo, in Buffalo, you don't brag about 10 inches. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing up there. Nothing up there. Yeah. yeah. You guys uh, can function pretty, uh, pretty well. So, well, Chris, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, being on. Let's uh, bring in Mike. Uh, Mike, talk to us uh, about you. Uh, how have you gotten to where you are right now? Yeah, so my name is Mike Feenan, and uh, I grew up in Minnesota, but made a circuitous path through Japan and uh, California, but ended up here in Wisconsin when I finished my PhD about 10 years ago. I'm a research hydrologist with the U.S. Geological Survey, and uh, I, I do kind of similar work to, to Chris. Not surprisingly, we're, we've partnered on, on crowd hydrology, although it's a little on the edge of, of our usual day-to-day -day work, which you'll, you'll hear about in a little bit. Um, yeah, so I'm also involved with this interaction between groundwater systems and surface water. You know, water is water. It, it moves on the surface, it rains, it flows in streams, it seeps into the ground, comes back out. So, um, you know, we like to think of it as one system. And, and uh, a lot of the work that we do related to that ends up being uh, with computer models. And so I do a lot of modeling, a lot of uncertainty analysis, and, uh, and parameter estimation are, are really my, my, my sub-subspecialty within hydrogeology like Chris. Very cool. Well, we'll start with you. Kind of talk to us about maybe how crowd hydrology uh, got its beginning. What, what, what inspired you guys to, uh, to start this program? You know, I'm, I'm actually going to turn that back to Chris because <laughs> he started the project. I came in a little bit later. So uh, uh, let me turn it over to Chris for that. Yeah, so, so, um, so one of the issues that we have um, is, is we don't have measurements in, in a fine spatial scale. Um, and so one of the reasons that, that this idea kind of came up, the, the basic idea is we want to measure uh, stream flow. And so we want to measure um, how streams are transmitting water through a certain watershed. And so the, uh, the idea was how can we uh, get data in data poor regions um, and how can we get that for a low price? And so our basic idea was that we um, thought that it might be possible to crowdsource some of these data. And so we set up a simple, uh, it, it's a gauge staff, it's like a giant ruler, and we set this giant ruler up in a stream, and we simply put a little tiny sign on top of this giant ruler, and the sign said, please text us the water levels, and there was a phone number. And we decided we'd try this at one location just to see if it worked, and sure enough, people started texting us water levels, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And so now we have, uh, I think we have about 100 stations up across the United States, I think we're in maybe 11 states. Uh, it, it's hard to tell right now. Very cool. So um, doing this, how, how did, uh, you know, any program is, 
it is not free to start. So how did you guys get the funding or, or what was the catalyst to, to get this going? Yeah, so, so, so this, this it, it's not free to start, but this is really inexpensive. Um, so, so basically, I, I was a new faculty member at the University of Buffalo, and I had some startup money, and I decided that I decided I'd throw 500 bucks into this and try it out. Um, so I bought some equipment. I literally laminated signs at Kinko's. Um, I set everything up, and, and it actually, the, the technology runs through a Google Voice account, which then goes to a Gmail account, and then I was manually pulling um, these text messages out of this Gmail account, and that's actually where Mike comes along. And so we were we were sitting at a meeting, and Mike was asking what I was doing, and I was asking what he was doing, and all of a sudden, I you know I said, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing this crowdsourcing thing, and and Mike was really interested, um, and so I talked to him a little bit about it, and he said, wait, you're doing this manually? This is crazy. Like you cannot upscale this. This is impossible to upscale. And so I went back into a talk, and I was sitting there, and Mike literally came in the middle of someone's talk, tapped me on the shoulder and said, Chris, um, can you give me the password to your Gmail account? I'm going <laughs> to automate this. And by the end of the day, I think Mike had it automated um, with a pipe. Is that right? Yeah, basically. There was, there was one, and now this is, this is a, like super nerdy detail, but one of the things was these signs are very general. The other question I had for Chris was, what format do these messages take? Like, what do you ask people to do? And he's like, oh, it's just a sign. It just says text the num text the the height of the water and and a string that has the the identifies the gauge. But there was no order, you know. So we had to do a little bit of artificial intelligence kind of uh, work to try to be able to interpret those messages. So ninety eight percent of the code was done that day, and then the other two percent took a few months to, <laughs> to sort of make it so it was pretty robust and try to figure out. Like, um, actually, the proudest achievement to me is we got one message that said. Um, the water level at you know whatever this this one location and then they named the stream and they said the, that they were near a bridge and the fish were biting and it was kind of warm and that there was a pretty high turbidity and then parentheses they said turbidity is where the water is kind of kind of cloudy like you know so that was helpful and um, but then they did put the water height and we were actually able to parse that crazy long message um, with all that delightful information that we didn't need and uh, and and be able to get a reasonable measurement out of it. So, uh, so yeah, and it's it's you know I I'm really committed to open source um, development, partly because I work for the government, and and you know this was largely nights and weekends kind of funding. <laughs> this was a hundred percent nights and weekends. <laughs> yeah, but you know I'm I'm really you know I do a lot of other development in my work, and I really I'm really committed to open source software, making things available for people. I figure the taxpayers are paying me to do my job, so they should be able to use the results of my work. So I did this all in Python, and then uh, and and over the last few years, we've had uh, the the fortune to for Chris to find some undergraduate computer science students. Turns out they're better. Coding than uh, you know forty something geologists like me, so uh, they've made some great improvements and and you know the project continues. Sounds like you and Jared and James would get along very well, right? <laughs> uh, I was just wondering. So besides unsolicited phishing reports, uh, what type of data are you looking for? Is it just water level? Is there other data that you're asking folks to submit in their user generated submissions? So so right now we're just asking for water levels. Um, we just installed some signs actually on Saturday where we're also asking for stream temperature at a few locations. Um, 
And so there's, there's some interest in folks that are interested in protecting fish habitat to not only know the stream level or the stream stage, but also know what the temperature is in terms of thinking about hydrologic niches where things like trout may wanna, may wanna um, hang out. Um, but, but right now, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, it could get more complicated, but that then, there's, there's other associated problems with asking for more. Yeah, if I could jump in real quick, you know, one, one criticism that, that we've received is, well, why don't you have this, like a fancy uh, smartphone app? You know, like, why are you guys using text messages that's so old? And um, there are a couple reasons for that. One is, is, is the, the easiest reason is that it's a lot easier to just, like, interpret a Gmail account than to write a, a, an app, which, by the way, we do have one. <laughs> but uh, but the, other, the other main thing is, you know, we were looking at the demographics of, of cell phone ownership. So just a couple years ago, it was up to 85% of Americans carry a cell phone, but it was still only about 50% that were carrying smartphones. It grows every year. But, um, and then now you think about you get out of the city and you get to rural areas where most of our gauges are, that percentage starts to shift a lot. And then I'm imagining the activation energy. You go see a sign and our sign says text in the number. So you know, and, and I've actually, when we were out servicing gauges, had to show people how to use the text message on their phone. But um, so, you know, it, what if it said, well, go to this site and then download this, this app and install it and then send in the message. I suspect we'd get, we'd get less participation. So that's actually one, one motivation for keeping it really simple. There's some value to that. Yeah, and, and, and we talk about this in terms of barrier of entry. So we want to keep the barrier of entry as low as possible in order for people to participate. Um, and and I'll, I'll say honestly, like a lot of work went into developing a smartphone app and, and, and it, the barrier of entry is just, is just too high for now. Guys, this is, um, this is really fascinating stuff. This, this seems to me to be a, a real grassroots type of um, sort of concept that you guys have started. You know, one thing comes to mind, I know we talked off screen last night and we did an equipment check and, and I mentioned Coco Ross and, and for the viewers out there, Coco Ross is the rain network that is, um, allows citizens to get certified equipment to do rainfall measurements to report into this giant network that they've worked on for decades. And so the National Weather Service uses it and, and they're actually partnered with them. Uh, is this something that you guys are working towards? And it was crowdsourcing. Is this some, is some similar template that you're working to get more citizens uh, getting your data out there into a network? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Coco Ross is the gold standard, right? And any given day between what, 7,500 to 8,000 people respond in terms of what precipitation is. Um, we, um, you know, we, we, we'd love to see this grow. Yes, we, we would love to get to more rural areas where we can collect stream stage. Um, and, and the reason behind that is you need to have a historical record to understand how things are changing in the future. And so this is one way where we can have, again, that low barrier of entry and collect historical data of stream stage in locations that, that we just can't put uh, more expensive instruments. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I can't, uh, with Mike and I kind of working on this nights and weekends, it, it actually turns out to be a lot of work. And, and I am just really surprised how well Coco Ross can keep everything up because uh, they're dealing with, with orders of magnitude more data than we are. And Chris, um, you're talking about the gauges. How do you determine, uh, where do you guys determine where you want to set these up? Is this uh, kind of like ideal locations you want them, or is people volunteering and say, hey, you can put this up on our in our area? 
people are volunteering. So Mike and I started out and we put gauges in locations that we were interested in terms of our fundamental research. Um, but now it, it completely is grassroots. We'll have some, you know, you'll get an email that comes in that says, hey, I have this stream or I have this pond, you know, near my school or near this community park. We'd like to put a gauge up. And um, our answer is always yes. And, and so um, now the, how the system works is you may email us and we'll say, yep, sure. Here are the, here's the installation guide on how to put this gauge up. And we'll, we'll cover all the computer side of things. And all we need you to do is buy the gauge. And we'll send you a PDF of the sign. You just print it out, laminate it, put it on, and then we're we're live w within 24 hours. Now these these instruments, uh, it seems like they would go really well with reservoirs and lakes as well, where you have constant flux up and down. Ponds, certain areas they send to, they tend to sort of self-regulate, but uh, when you get into like the watershed, into the estuaries along the coast, reservoirs of lakes inland. Um, what kind of instrumentation are we talking about? Do you have a picture of it? Is it something we can look at? And, and what, what's, what are the costs of these things? <laughs> yeah, so, so, so it's, it's a giant ruler. It's a, is this a USGS Class A gauge? Is that right, Mike? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Class A staff um, gauge. Yeah, and uh, the, the cost of the gauge is, I, I think we're getting them for $35 right now, plus uh, a few parts for Home Depot. Uh, you can put one in for $50 or less. That's pretty good, uh, considering the water level gauges out there that NOS uses along at least with the portions of the coastline, significantly higher in price and much higher maintenance. Uh, how, uh, how durable are these instruments? Do they withstand debris knocking into it, or, or how, how do they work? Tell us a little bit more about them. So, so it, de it depends how, uh, what kind of installation you have. So normally we pound in one of these Home Depot uh, green fence posts, and then screw this gate, screw this plate or this giant ruler onto that fence post. Uh, we have lost a few of those during high flows, uh, but we have gauges that have been up since 2011 and are just going strong. Uh, many times we have to replace the signs, uh, but the gauges are usually just going or just just go strong. And they're metal gauges, so they can handle it. There's occasionally you get some muck on them, and you got you need to scrub them off. But um, you know they're robust. And the thing is, if we lose them you know, you're out 50 bucks and you just install a new one. Right. So the, um, which is great. I mean, that's very cost effective to have something like that. That's going to last quite a bit. Uh, is it something that kind of floats up and down in the water or does it get, if it gets totally submerged, does it stop giving you readings or how, how does the, like the, the gauge kind of work during real time events? Yeah. So, so, um, it, it's fixed to the stream bed. And so, I mean, it, it's a ruler in water. You see the water level rise up on the ruler, and all we're asking people to do is tell us where the water level is on the ruler. Um, there are times where we've had text messages that say that the water level is above the gauge, um, and, and there are times where, well, and, th and that brings up a good point. Um, these data that we're getting are normally during periods where the weather is really nice because people aren't kind of outside walking around in heavy storms or anything like that. So, so we are missing some of that storm event data, which is probably more interesting to you folks, um, and it's interesting to us. But because of the method that we're using to collect these data, we're, we're biased toward better weather days. And Mike, I want to bring you in, into this. How, this information that you guys receive, how, what is it used for? What is that data? What is the data you guys are wanting from this and, and kind of help you out with, with your uh, regular everyday job? Well, there's a couple a couple different different kinds of the data. 
So Chris is again, you know, mentioned that he's doing a lot of work with these uh, with groundwater surface water action and interaction in streams. And so in a lot of his area in the Northeast, where a lot of the gauges are, those streams are, are really important for his research. For me, um, one of the big issues that I'm getting involved in in Wisconsin is, uh, is lake levels. And th this technique works just fine for lakes too. In fact, in some ways it's easier because the water's a little stiller a lot of the time. Um, and uh, you can put them, you know, if you put it on a fishing pier, you get a lot of good measurements. If you put it at a boat landing, by the way, which we thought would be great because there's lots of traffic, um, imagine somebody trying to back up a semi in downtown Chicago that's never driven a truck. That's a boat landing, right? It's like, no, it's, it's a mess. Nobody's, nobody's in a zenful kind of, you know, hey, let, that's pretty cool. They're doing some science. Let me help out. No, they're, they're, they're trying to back up a trailer. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so for lake levels, that's going to be an increasingly important for my work in, uh, in Wisconsin where there's a lot of agriculture a lot of increase in uh, irrigation and so that and um, some lake levels have dropped quite a bit and we get very occasional measurements of those through our normal programs so it's really exciting both to to potentially get more um, more uh, data you know that we need but also to engage citizens and engage the people that are that are consumers of this information you know with 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 a lot of the kind of challenges we have these days with with trust of science and that kind of thing going on I think if people contribute data and then they, they go back and, and look at that data again, they're going to realize, you know, that there's the number that I put in and the next one that came in was probably pretty similar. And then a little bit later, it's, it's higher or lower. And that's, you know, I think that's, there's a lot of benefit just to that, just to that engagement piece of things. So I want to bring in the website here. Um, looks like there's a little area. Here we go. Well, I know that that map was just working a little bit ago. That might be on my end for, from Chrome. Uh, let me see if I can refresh and get that back up. Uh, Google Maps may be having some issue there. But either way, um, let's let's talk. take a look at your website. Tell us a little bit about it and, and how to navigate. You know, For the average uh, person that wants to be interested and they come to your website, what's the first thing you suggest they do? Yeah, so, so can, is it possible for me to share my screen? Yes, yes, it is. Um, if you will, if you will go up to um, the sidebar here uh, on the, the left hand side, the second um, little option there says screen share. Got it. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, is, does that help? Yes. Yep. I've got you. I'm presenting you to everybody now. I'll let mine go so you could do yours. Wonderful. So, so, so this is the basic map of our website, um, and, and, it, and it, it's not perfect, but, but for a couple of hydrologists, it's not too bad. Um, and so what you can see is you can see all of the locations where we have crowd hydrology gauges. Uh, because we're in the Great Lakes Basin, uh, you see most of the gauges in our basin. Um, you can zoom in, and let me just zoom in to actually our first station that we, that we put in. Um, this is at a, a Buffalo Autobahn Society site um, at Beaver Meadows. And you can, you can click on a station, and what we can do is we can go and we can see the water levels. Um, and this is what these data look like. So this, the, the data set that you're looking right here goes from January uh, 2012 to current. Um, and you can see that uh, there is an increase in water levels from January 2012 up until uh, January 2015. Uh, this site actually had a beaver come in and dam the stream up, and so that's why the water level has raised. Um, and you can just track along this, and you can see what every citizen science um, data point looks like all the way along. 
And there's some places where my cursor is right now where there's really fine data. And then there's other places where there's big gaps. Uh, notice that's January and February. Um, not a lot of people out in Western New York that time of year. Um, and then there's some places like this where you see the water levels seem to be consistent and then there's a big drop right here. Um, and, and, and that's something that, that uh, is likely due to someone sending in a measurement that was incorrect. Um, and, and Mike and I have been really straightforward about this and we, we call these our ugly babies and we publish everything that we have and we say, hey, there's ugly babies in here and this is a good opportunity for people to, to think about um, how, how there is uncertainty in data and there's errors within related to data. Yeah, one that's thing, really cool. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. Oh, that's cool. Um, these these plates are like three feet tall, so we also check for the the that overall range, right? So if you uh, if we get a message at a particular site that is a number greater than the top of the gauge or lower than the bottom of the gauge, we do throw that out. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a little bit of a couple other quality control things we do like that. But yeah, there are a few there are a few flyers in there. But I will say that that the the root mean squared error for all you data nerds uh, for um, for these measurements is about the same as the distance between the two lines the two adjacent lines on the ruler. So basically, it's a question of people deciding: Do I go to this one or that one? Uh, the higher or the lower? But they're not. Uh, you know, they're doing a really good job when people yeah. text in data. It's it's really quite reasonable. And, and that's actually based on analysis over four summers um, at four different gauges in three different states. Um, yep. So, uh, you know, it's not just that one state is smarter than another state. Everybody's doing the same thing, and the air is really low. You know, I got two guys that come to mind here, and these guys are great at recruiting armies of uh, civilians to get information in. Uh, Tim Buckley in Greensboro, North Carolina, he's chief met down there. Uh, if you want to, re I would I would suggest reaching out to him and Grant Gilmore down in Tampa Bay. These guys are pros at getting people to help out. Uh, so there's, there's two ideas. I you know I like the idea of this. Uh, you know we can uh, push this through Carolina Weather Group viewers and and uh, yeah I mean this is this is a great concept. I love it. Yeah, and and you know we're an open group, and so if if anybody wants to put one of these gauges up, shoot us an email through our website. And, and we'll get you set up, and we'll get you up on the website, and, and we'll go from there. I want to uh, kind of reset here. It's uh, 845 here on the Carolina Weather Group. We do have crowd hydrology with us. Uh, a lot of viewers uh, turn it in tonight, and this is a really neat project. They want more information, so we'll let our guests uh, towards the end of the show kind of uh, let you know how you can get in touch with them. I do want to know uh, note that we, we do see your comments about the tropics. We're going to hit that as well. Uh, but Chris, I wanted to, to come back to you for just a little bit. You uh, work at the University of Buffalo. How does this information that you guys get, how does that help you guys out there at the university? So um, it, it really comes down to getting data in data scarce regions. Um, and so uh, if, if I was to go and put a pressure transducer, which is kind of our standard instrument that we measure stream stage, um, I, I, it cost me about $1,200 to put a pressure transducer in a stream. Um, and so uh, there are some issues with um, fluxes of water going into the Great Lakes, moving through rural regions where we need to know what the stage is and what the flow is in these streams. And so this, this, this idea kind of spouted from, we need more data, how are we going to get that for a limited amount of money? Um, and, and that's really the key there. It, it's, um, it's getting data that 
um, we couldn't get otherwise with the funds that we have, basically. Okay, I've got uh, I've got one more question for you guys. If, if I'm if I'm one of the viewers here tonight and I am interested in doing this, uh, what kind of advice do you have for where where do I start? If I have a pond in the backyard, or if there's a river down the street, or if I live on the water in the harbor, for instance, uh, what what advice would you give for a higher priority location or target for one of these uh, gauges? Um, you know, I, I think nature nature centers or places where there are where the public walks have been our biggest our biggest contributors. I mean, we throw up some really big numbers. Um, what we have found, like Mike said, was boat docks where people are putting boats in horrible. Uh, the other places we thought that trout fishermen would would be huge, and so we put in these gauges where there was a bunch of folks that would would fish for trout. Um, and it turns out that the folks that are out trout fishing, they don't want to take their cell phone with them. They don't want people to get a hold of them. Um, and so they don't have their phone, and they're like, oh, that's really nice. And, and I, I hear this from them all the time. Oh, yeah, we see your gauge every single time I go out fishing. And I say, have you ever sent it a text message? Oh, no. Why would I bring my phone fishing? Um, so so re really, I think the key, is, the key is places where public hike and walk um, and nature centers, those are the ones that just throw up really, really big numbers. And, and for example, we have a site outside of Rochester, New York, um, and there's two gentlemen that walk their dog every single day. Um, and over the summer, uh, this was two summers ago, we ended up with 800 measurements at that one location. And two, measurement, two measurements from two different ID numbers came in at the same time every single day which I can almost guarantee are these two gentlemen walking their dog, um, and, and it's great. I mean, that, that's really what pays off, you, to, to engage with people who are interested um, and also have the time to do this. Well, my question to you guys is, you know, as we look towards the future with crowd hydrology, uh, what, is, what does the future look like? What, what do you guys, what's your goals maybe for the next year or maybe next five years, ten years down the road? Well, one of the big things that I've been advocating since we started this project is, is uh, you know, by keeping the barrier of entry low, this could be really useful in places where there's not only a scarcity of data, but like no data. And I'm particularly thinking of in developing countries, imagining where people have a cell phone, but there isn't necessarily um, an environmental ministry or a natural resources department that's out gauging streams. And, and if we could incentivize people in the headwaters of, of some basins to regularly uh, not only contribute data just when they kind of feel like it, but also to target high, higher flow events, um, that could be used for, for really valuable flood warning downstream. And uh, you know, I think that would be really uh, a great thing to do and, and continuing to look for opportunities to, to implement in that way. Say one crowd right off the rip I can think of are bird watchers, ones that go down to these basins to take pictures regularly. Those those folks will probably be more than happy to help out because they do carry their phones with them. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar with eBird, but eBird is is a citizen science program out of Cornell, and and they're they're a, a, a wonderful group. Jared, I think you had a question. Yeah. Hey guys. Um, so uh, I, I'm the coder nerd here, so uh, it was awesome to hear about your embrace of open source. And uh, if you want to write a climate parser for me, uh, <laughs> maybe we can stick some of your people on it. The climate reports from the Weather Service are a pain to parse. So, uh, but, uh, 
uh, all jokes aside, do you guys have any of this published out on like GitHub or any um, open source repositories where some of us aspiring geeks get a look? Yeah, there's a GitHub site with uh, so the software we actually gave a different name. It's social water. And so if you, uh, cool. if you if you look for social.water on GitHub, you will find our um, you'll find our code base. I'm embarrassed to say after giving my geeky credentials that it's still in Python 2. Uh, I have not updated it to 3, which is where I work now. So, um, you know, if I was starting it today, it would be in Python 3. But that's actually another uh, thing in the weeds that we're probably going to do in the next year or so, get that get that converted over. But, yep, it's all there. Yeah, and I you think can it's even phenomenal. That you... Your own network. Yeah, that's phenomenal because uh, I just love the fact that you have all these data points brought in by text message parsed out. That is so cool. Way, way to do more with less. The other thing is, though, it's you know you can you can you're basically just reading numbers right and so if you have an identification number you can look at other parameters so we're happy to look at stream stage we're starting to look at temperature but you could adapt this for a lot of other kinds of things like wind speed right what stops mm -hmm. you from what stops you from crowdsourcing wind speed um, and, and use the same code or precipitation or precipitation yeah, yeah. just a, as long as it's a single number with a with a relatively simple uh, identifier. So for example, all of our gauge names have this two-letter two, uh, state abbreviation and then a number between 0 and, and 9999. And that's the identifier. And then there's some floating point number in there. That's what we're looking for. Too cool, well, guys. Just gave a star. <laughs> I, I see uh, looking, at your, looking at your website, you know, a lot of your your gauges are in the Northeast and the the Wisconsin Minnesota area. Mm -hmm. uh, is I know why that is. <laughs> but um, what's your what's your plan? Would you guys like to expand maybe to the South, the Mid South? You know, even out out on the West Coast, I see a few in uh, Oregon and, and California. But uh, you know, do you want to see this expand, or do you like it kind of? Is, is the information you get now with the areas that you're in is that is that suffice? No, we'd love to see it expand. Actually, north there's some there's some gauges that are going to go in North Carolina, hopefully soon. Um, and there's some gauges that are going to go live in Maine pretty soon. Um, there's someone that that runs a similar program actually in Florida that that may kind of be competing with us a little bit, um, although they have a limited network. Um, but yeah, uh, we're we're happy to see it show up. Um, any, anywhere someone would like it, we're happy to put a new a new state online at any time. Well, one 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 of our principles from the very beginning too has been crowdsourced data belongs to the crowd, right? So, I mean, we don't. You were asking how we use the data, and and we do have uses for it. But our our goal is not to collect this and put it in you know in our little repository and do something with it. It's to make it available to everybody. And so, and our scrapers run and check the, the email account. I guess it's still five minutes, right, Chris? Yeah. 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 So every five minutes, they go, they go out to the, uh, you know, and parse for new messages. So if you go out and text in a message, in a few minutes, if you do have a smartphone, you can go to that gauge of site and see your data point. Um, but you can also see every data point that's ever been collected by the project. So we'd love to see these all over the place. That would be great. We want to facilitate other people to use the data, both for science and, you know, for recreation. You know, like whitewater people and fisher people that are trying to decide whether they want to go, um, you know, float a certain river. What's what? What are the rapid conditions like? A lot of that can be can be determined just by knowing the water level. 
And we have a we have a viewer right now. Her name's Nina. She's saying great stuff. I see uh, this really benefiting you uh, businesses and, and build people who are building near flood prone areas. Good job, uh, everyone. So it uh, seems like the our, our viewers like it. Uh, my my last question before we kind of wrap this up. Uh, you know, it, I work. Uh, I do consultant meteorology for uh, emergency management offices in Western North Carolina, and, and I see the benefit of you know putting these out. Uh, during flood events and even maybe even having your volunteer firefighters, you know, go out and just text that information in and that can really help out uh, with, with rising water uh, levels, you know, during high water events with, with, with heavy rain and stuff like that. So a uh, good program. If anyone does want to uh, get involved, I know you guys have kind of talked about it just a little bit. Uh, tell us how, uh, how that process is one more time, how we can get a hold of you or how our viewers can get a hold of you and, and kind of sign up for this and then help you guys out. Yeah, so the easiest way is if, if you go to crowdhydrology.com, um, there's there's a little form that you can fill out and you can just say, hey, I'd like to get more information. And that email comes to us and we'll respond right away. Um, and, and we can send out um, a little PDF of how to install these signs. Uh, we have a company that gives you a discount on the, on the gauges, uh, which was really nice of them. Um, and, and we set you up with templates for all the signs. And then you're up and running, and, and all we ask, all we ask in return is that you send us the latitude and longitude of where your gauge is, and a picture of the gauge, and uh, we get it up on the website, and and we go from there. Very cool. So uh, I know you guys. Uh, we were talking last night uh, on our little uh, test session there. I know you guys have started a Twitter and Facebook accounts. So you uh, want to right now give uh, give those uh, those addresses out so our followers can uh, follow you on, on social media. Sure. Uh, every single one is Crowd Hydrology. Uh, <laughs> one word. And so uh, you find you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. And just, just a word of caution, uh, two hydrologists may not be the best tweeters, snappers, Facebookers, or whatever. So it's a... Uh, it's 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 a little rough, um, but uh, you know what? We're always up for for comments. If someone if someone wants to help us, we we we'd appreciate it. This is well, this guys. Is you know, I mean, the the new thing is pushing Snapchat. You got to you got to start getting with it with Snapchat now. I yeah, can't get that. I, that's what my students keep telling me, and I say, you know what? I'm too old for this. <laughs> hey, at least we don't have a MySpace site, right? That's true. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and our, our email address is not at AOL.com. So <laughs> oh, very really cool. We guys stick around if you want to. Uh we're gonna send it to Shay where he can uh give us the, the download on the tropics as we're reaching the nine o'clock hour and then we'll uh do our tweets of the week and we'll uh bring this show to uh, to a close. Uh, Shay, I'm gonna bring it or hand it off to you. All right, Scotty, we're going to talk tropics now. Let me know when you can see the screen here. Um, we got, got you. Uh, okay, good. Here's the uh, 8 p.m. update. Uh, the NHC updates are every three hours. Next one won't be until 11 o'clock p.m. This is the latest on Maria. As James said earlier, winds at 110 miles per hour. Uh, pressure at 958 millibars moving to the northwest at 12 miles per hour. The track from Maria brings it up uh, across the, the northern southeast Bahamas and up towards the central Bahamas. Uh, these folks need to be on guard here. Uh, hurricane warnings are up and this system is going to come really close uh the um the intensity right now is a category two but it is expected to uh to intensify especially now that it's over the open water it's not having any more of those effects from uh, the mountainous zones of puerto rico and then it's going to head to the northwest uh, from here it gets a little bit uncertain it looks like it may ride up 
the East Coast, similar to what Jose did. It may come a little bit uncomfortably close to the or the Eastern North Carolina, maybe Outer Banks in time, but it's just a little bit too early to tell. Uh, sea surface temperatures are pretty warm over the Bahamas right now. We're looking at 86 degrees Fahrenheit, roughly uh, 30 Celsius, and we have the warm Gulf Stream that peels up. Uh, right now, Jose is up here over this cool water, which is going to keep it uh, with a cooler core and keep weakening it. And it may ex end up going extra tropical here in the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, and then you'll see Maria start to come up. Now, these two may have some interaction. And there's a reason why that track takes it away from the coastline. Earlier, we were concerned that maybe it would come into the coast. And now we're just eh, a little bit more certain that it's going to stay offshore, but not entirely there yet. You see Maria coming up from the south. This is the GFRS run. We're getting out to uh, about uh, three, three and a half days here. The key to remember is that Jose being up here to the north may actually help pull Maria away from the coastline. We also have a trough digging down here into the Gulf of Mexico. This whole lineup of troughing right here together uh, will help to pull the storm out. One concern that I have is up here where you see the warm pinks and reds. Uh, that is a high pressure, an area of high pressure, pretty expansive built up to the north. So it's a blocking feature. Uh, and that tends to push down a northeast wedge into these systems and drive them into the coastline. Uh, we see that expanding and then heading to the east. And right about here is where I start to get a little bit concerned that maybe uh, that interaction with Jose, the GFS show shows Jose pretty much dying off and Maria ingests what's left of that. So when it gets to this point, it's going to be a little bit uncertain. And, and you're talking 162 hours out, so we can't really say very much about it beyond that point. Uh, we may have some interaction with the East Coast. We're just not sure entirely yet. Even the Euro model uh, shows that as it heads to the south. It, has a, it keeps Jose a little bit more prominent as Maria ingests what's left of there. But either way, in time, uh, both models are in agreement with an upper jet swooping down. We can see it better on the GFS model at this point uh, in the upper dynamics. The, uh, the jet stream really cranks up across the country. And so whatever's left uh, later on in the life cycle, let these load a little bit, uh, you see that jet swooping down and taking whatever there is left out to sea. So at some point, it's going to pull all the tropical activity away from the coastline. So those of you that are up north dealing with Jose, uh, you know, once again, when James showed this earlier, winds are 65 miles per hour, pressure 979 millibars, tropical storm force. And we see this uh, NHC cone sort of expanded uh, because that high pressure to the north with that northeast wedge may push the system, give it a nudge to the west. And some models are sort of indicating that this may actually go into New Jersey or someplace in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, so to keep in the circle very wide to include these places, uh, you may see heavy rainfall, beach erosion, uh, a little bit of wind, maybe tropical storm force winds at times uh, as as we go uh, over the next uh, 24 to 48 hours. It's really kind of uh, muddled at this point. It doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere. So that high pressure to the north that I mentioned is going to keep this thing kind of capped right there. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with Maria as it comes up from the south. It looks like Maria is going to weaken, especially uh, hitting some of those islands in the shallower areas. It, it doesn't look like it's going to fully recoup. It could come back up to Category 4 and then weaken again as it heads north over those sea surface temperatures. So uh, when, if it stays out here, further out uh, off the coastline, you can see the cooler waters right here, and that's going to help uh, take away some of its fueling mechanism. Jose helped a little bit with that. You can see the swirl left over in the SST from NASA uh, where it actually stirred the waters up. So yeah, a little bit of a break there if it heads in that direction. If it heads a little bit more to the west, it's going to have warmer water. It could stay... Uh, it can maintain its status. So, uh, you know, we, we just, we hope Jose helps. I know folks are, are 
pretty much saying, you know, they're tired of hearing about Jose and everything, but Jose may be the very thing that keeps us from getting a landfall hurricane. And uh, Puerto Rico really did not do so well. And that's going to lead me to the tweet of the week, Scotty. Uh, this morning, I know there's a lot of talk about Puerto Rico. We can't forget what happened in St. Croix and Dominica as the storm blew up. Maria went to Category 5 with winds up to 175 miles an hour very quickly. Uh, and uh, there was a lot of damages done. So I'll share my tweet of the week. Let me see if I can uh, pull that back up again. May have to go back to Twitter. You know what? I'm going to pass this on. I'll come come back to me because I want to pull this up. It, I just got to. I don't want to waste time doing that. Uh, go ahead, uh, James, if you want to do your tweet of the week or Jared. I have mine ready while they get theirs. Or Scotty. Yeah, I've got mine too. So. Yeah. So this is mine. Uh, this is from Dakota Smith. Uh, this is uh, kind of an image of, of all three of our major hurricanes that's uh, affected, uh, I, I want to say the United States, I guess Puerto Rico uh, being considered, you know, with our territory. So again, this is, uh, you know, Shay, we were talking about this before the show. You know, we've not had an active tropical se a season like this since I believe 2005. And uh, with the uh, with the Go 16, I mean, it has given us um, some jaw-dropping uh, images. And uh, this is the... Uh, the eye of all three of uh, the major hurricanes that's affected the United States so far this year. So that is my tweet of the week. Uh, that is from Dakota Smith. So I will toss Very it cool. back. I found mine. I'll go ahead and pull that up real quick. This is uh, as the as the rivers in Puerto Rico, and this wasn't just one. This was this was almost all major rivers in Puerto Rico that uh, very very quickly, like within minutes rose from some of the seriously heavy rains, some of the torrential rains from uh, Maria, early morning hours. They got, I think, over 25 inches of rain in most spots, and rain's still falling, so we may be looking at three feet of rain. If you know anything about Puerto Rico and the mountainous zones, there's probably there's probably a lot of mudsliding. There's probably a lot of roads washed out and uh, very fast-moving rivers, but this is just one city, one, one flood from one of the rivers, and you can just see how torrential that is, and, and there are casualties with this storm. We just don't know how many yet. Uh, we really feel for those in Puerto Rico and the other islands of St. Croix and Dominica that, that felt the brunt of this. But, uh, yeah, that's just impressive. You know, I can't imagine what it was like all over where all these rivers were. So back to you. All right. Um, Jared, you got yours ready? I sure do. Let me get my screen up. We're going to stay on the topic of Maria. Um, very much a thing. So about uh, – and, and this is a kind of a late-breaking addition to Tweet of the Week. So about uh, uh, 20 minutes or so ago, uh, Josh Morgerman, iCyclone. Uh, if, I always say that if Jim, Jim Cantore is in your town, that's not so good. But if Josh Morgerman is in your town, get the heck out of Dodge because um, he knows how to take him right out of the eye. And sure enough, uh, he just tweeted for the first time in 14 hours, something like that. Uh, he says, yep, I'm alive. And uh, and he's amazing, and <laughs> so uh, he he's still got a sense of humor intact. And after what he describes as a scary morning, with a very violent core. So uh, so yeah. For those of you who are not familiar with Josh's work, he flies all over the world into the eyes of the most uh, intense tropical systems, and uh, he has bagged Maria. And uh, very glad that he's all right, and uh, hope that as many people as possible. Uh, we're able to escape harm down in Puerto Rico, at St. Croix, and on Dominica. So 
very, very sad situation uh, for all of the lesser Antilles, and um, they're going to need a lot of help. Yeah, our sensors held up pretty well down there. We've got several weather stations. The ones that stayed online and didn't lose comms, cell comms, um, we had reports of uh, Sandy Point in St. Croix, Western St. Croix report last night, uh, just on the outside of the inner eye wall, had sustained winds of 100 to 100, I'm sorry, about 104 to 108 miles per hour with uh, gusts up to 137 miles per hour. So that was actually recorded at the surface level. And uh, that was from a slightly east-northeast direction. So it wasn't quite catching that perfectly clean fetch. So you can only imagine right on that inner eye wall uh, what the winds probably were. I mean, you're, I mean, 175 mile an hour, you know, it's uh, intense. All right, James, I'll come to you in just a second. I know you have something to add after your tweet of the week. So uh, I'm going to let Chris uh, or um, if you guys, Chris, if you guys have one or uh, I think Michael's got one, I can share it, Michael, if you need me to. Yes. All right. <laughs> let me uh, let me get the screen share up and then I'll let you talk about it right quick. Yeah, cool. So, uh, so being a data encoding nerd, I, uh, the guys over at Data Camp were talking about visualization and, you know, sort of the value of these cones that we all look at, but they're the spaghetti plots, right? And there's a variety of ways to do that uh, when you're looking at trajectories. And uh, one of the common ways is just showing every model with a trajectory, but some of those are really valuable and some are really not, you know? And so there are ways that we could do a lot better job of weighting um, waiting the data, so uh, it's it's worth reading. <laughs> you mean we shouldn't we shouldn't share data that's like two hundred and thirty hours out. <laughs> no, it's actually not that. It's just that if oh. you show if if every model is shown with with one line and those all have equal weight, you know you have no idea what's actually more likely. Than uh, true, else. true, excellent point. Yeah. James, three hundred eighty four hours. Okay, let's get. Oh, it right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Chris, do you have one that you'd like to share? I don't. No, no, no. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. All right, James. It's all yours, bud. All right. I'm going to start with my tweet of the week, uh, putting it up on the screen now. We talked about the beautiful weather we have here in Charlotte and other portions of the Carolina. Uh, this is actually a Instagram photo, so sorry. That'll work. Just, I do understand the difference between Twitter and Instagram, for the record. Uh, but this is uh, the Greenway here in South Charlotte. It was a very lovely day uh, out the other day, right at sunset. And I wanted to share that because I'm sure many folks are uh, also out and about and enjoying the beautiful weather this past weekend and in the days to come. Hey, James. Uh, yes, Scotty. That looks like a good place to put a uh, crowdsource uh, hydraulic. That would be a great place for a crowdsource sensor, actually. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> uh, we we should talk offline. The, that actual that area right there, as you could probably tell from from the wood planks, is is a floodplain. So it would probably be good to see some of that runoff. Yeah. Perfect. All right, go ahead, James. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I didn't mean to distract you. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. And this is the part where I'm going to start sounding like PBS uh, in saying that this show is brought to you in part by viewers like you. Uh, so I uh, just want to let everyone know uh, that we have launched a, a new crowd funding uh, operation here uh, at the Carolina Weather Group. So if you go to our website, carolinaweathergroup.com, where, of course, you can rewatch tonight's episode all about crowd hy hydrology. Uh, off on the right rail, uh, we want to uh, welcome you to our new Patreon uh, support page where uh, if you are a fan of this podcast or, or video cast, uh, we are um, soliciting 
uh, some funds, not to profit, not to get rich, but uh, just to keep uh, us from going broke because uh, uh, your friends here at the Carolina Weather Group are uh, currently uh, supporting our website and our other streaming operations out of uh, what I'm referring to on, on, on the uh, text here as the coffee fund. Uh, or the beer fund, or whatever you want to call it. So uh, you may have noticed this past weekend our website went down a little bit, so I had to go digging through the couch cushions uh, for a few more uh, nickels and dimes. So uh, we have created uh, this great opportunity, and if you're not familiar with with Patreon, uh, what that allows you to do is uh, to uh, subscribe uh, as a uh, fundraiser supporter of, of our show. Uh, there are different tiers, uh, and you get things in return. Uh, there is a rewards program. Uh, which include everything from a shout out on this broadcast right here uh, to getting some personalized forecasts. So if you have uh, a special event coming up and you would like uh, one of the panelists here in the Carolina Weather Group to uh, deliver a personal forecast of uh, for a day and location of your choice, that's actually one of our, uh, our crowdsource uh, fundraising opportunities. And of course, as we've also been telling you about, uh, you can download the Stormwatch Plus app and get severe weather notifications uh, right to your phone uh, for your location. And there's information about that on our website as well, too, because... Uh, you can uh, support the Carolina Weather Group by downloading that and putting in the referral code Carolina. Scotty? Yes, we'd appreciate uh, anything that you can give. Uh, we have enjoyed uh, doing this and look forward to continuing doing it. But like James said, you know, if uh, we get more funds, then we can do more things. So uh, that's pretty cool and thankful uh, that James helped us set this up. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to visit that. Um, sometime this week and talking about uh, next our show next week's show uh, September 27th we have uh, Trevor Bouchard he is a weather service uh, meteorologist and uh, he's going to be coming on and talking to us about um, how to communicate weather with a diverse population you know uh, this is maybe a population that maybe doesn't speak English or or uh, has uh, something going on that, that kind of uh, helps or hurts them or hinders them from, from getting the weather information that we're able to give out. So uh, Trevor will be joining us next week. And this is breaking news. He did uh, win a uh, the uh, NWA National Weather Association uh, Person of the Year uh, this afternoon at the conference. So uh, we'll have to uh, congratulate Trevor on that uh, next week as well. So Trevor will be joining us. And then uh, for the first part of October, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, – Will Simon, he is a uh, Hurricane Hunter pilot who actually flies into the storm. So we'll be joining us on the uh, first Wednesday of October. And we'll put the rest of the schedule up on our Facebook page so you can see uh, what's coming up in the next week. So, again, uh, we want to thank Crowd Hydrology. Uh, Chris and Michael, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, we look forward to maybe having you back on sometime later on, let, giving us a, a progress report of, of how things are going. And uh, we appreciate you, our viewers who are watching tonight. Uh, be sure to uh, follow us on our Twitter and Facebook page. Subscribe uh, to our YouTube page and our uh, our podcasts on Apple uh, Podcasts and your uh, Google Play stores and uh, share the word about us. So until next week, we hope you have a great, great weekend. Stay safe and enjoy uh, this late summer weather that is affecting much of the Southeast.